preached on Mother's Day before, and so this is a special, kind of a special privilege. Um, and I, I would like to speak on, uh, at least on my observation of motherhoods. So I've, I've not been a mother, as most of you know, all of you. And uh, so I, when I came here this morning, I started looking around at all the, the beautiful mothers in this room, and I suddenly felt a little bit like a rhino in a china shop. And uh, But I would like to share some scriptures with you out of the Old Testament. And uh, I heard a quote this week. Some of you may have heard it too because it was on a local radio station. Life didn't come with a manual, but it came with a mom. And I thought, well, that's pretty good because uh, the foundation that that most of us received when we were little was from our mom. It's a direct result of of the input that our mothers uh, put into our lives. And so today I would like to spend a few minutes. I feel like my time is a little short, but uh, I would like to spend a few minutes exalting, lifting up the calling of motherhood because I feel like so often uh, it is taken for granted. And I was thinking about why that is and thinking about my own life and my own mother, I realized after mom passed away that it just felt like, kind of like the foundation to my life was was broken. Kind of like the rug had been pulled out from under my life and, and uh, maybe fun, in a fundamental way uh, the fabric of our family. And so... Um, I, I didn't realize that I would that I would feel that way, and it's something that kind of hit me after Mom passed away. And so, I've thought about that a lot since Mom's passing, and just uh, you know appreciate so much what she poured into our lives from such a young age, and it became such a part of who we were as a family and as as children that. It was really easy just to take it for granted and just think, well, that's the way life is supposed to be. We've ne- we've never missed it. So, um, and as I was preparing for this, uh, this it's kind of it's kind of dumb that that this affected me this way uh, because I know it's true. But you mothers, can you all raise your hands? Anyone in here who is a mother? We have a beautiful group of mothers here. Thank you. And thank you all for your example and your service. I agree with, uh, was it Sam that said maybe that uh, that the mothers of this church are absolutely a pillar in the body of Christ, in this local congregation. Um, but you mothers are literally the only gateway the only gateway by which a human being enters this world. And there are 8 billion people in this world. That's an astounding thought. Maybe it's astounding to me because of how much I, t- I tend to take motherhood, and the calling of motherhood, for granted. I mean, you got, you're just always here. You're always, you just do your thing, step in there, and life flows. 
And uh, I'm with Sam. If I get home and, and my wife is gone for a weekend or something, there's not a lot of reason to come home, really. Um, and it would become a lot more that way if she was gone for a long time. So, um, And in a very practical, very practical sense of the word, you all are, are probably the biggest example that we have <clears throat> of someone who gives their body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God day in and day out, year after year after year. And today I want to honor you mothers for that. You are a tremendous example of the servant leadership of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Have you ever heard the, uh, the question re- regarding employment? So what do you do? Oh, you're just you're a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And, and there's all, almost a little bit of deflation that comes with that. Anybody identify with that or am I the only one that somewhat kind of? Just a stay-at-home mom. <clears throat> um, I, I've seen that, not everywhere, but I've seen that maybe sentiment. Uh, even it comes across sometimes even in a tone of voice that somehow maybe career would be elevated above the calling or the, the position of being a stay-at-home mom. And uh, so as I, was, as I was thinking about that, I thought about some of the, some of the many job descriptions and hats that, that my wife wears. A school teacher, full-time cook, she is uh, in large part a pediatrician for our children, a nutritionalist, housekeeper, counselor. These are, these are usually uh, careers, by the way. A home designer, defense attorney. Those of you who have multiple children will understand that. A junior court judge. You will also understand that when your children get a little bit older, maybe even before they get a little older. Event planners. That's just that's like a scratch the surface list. Um, many of you are gardeners, seamstresses, artists. Some of you are entrepreneurs, Sunday school teachers, and most of you are also wives. That's 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 a big one. Oh. You know, you are your children's definition of love. You are in large part who gives your child a basis and a foundation for what love looks like. Now, I'd like to read a quote by Paul Tripp. I, may, I might read this a few times. What could, this, this is the beginning of the quote here, what could possibly be more important than to be God's tool to the forming of a human soul? God, through you, is intending to place His hands on your children. You are His representative. You are the look on His face. You are the tone of His voice. You are the touch of His hand. What a high and holy calling. And I say amen to that. And I'd like to add that you are the tool, you are God's tool, Informing your child's worldview. The lens through which your child will see God, their fellow man, and themselves. 
It's you mothers. You are first, you are in the first line of defense against the onslaught of false teaching, spiritual warfare, cultural deviances that grab for the hearts and lives of your children. Now you aren't the only one in that first line of defense, but you are there in that first line of defense. And so without even realizing it, without sometimes even trying or or consciously uh, recognizing it, you are those things for your children. And I want to say, God bless you today, to every one of you. It is a high calling. And um, so I want to look at a mother of the Old Testament. Uh, if you would turn to First Samuel and uh, to chapter 1 for a little bit of context. And with the limited time we have, I would like to do quite a bit of scripture reading here. Um, maybe I'll skip through Samuel, First Samuel, chapter one, a little bit, and and talk about. Um, I looked up the pronunciation, the, the pronunciation on this name this morning. It's uh, uh, Elkanah, the man of this house, and he had two wives. Don't do that. Uh, but as is expected there was strife in that whole in that household, and um, the Bible says that Penina, who was the the one wife who had children, she was she was uh, she was hard to get along with, and Hannah, whom Elkanah loved a lot, maybe more than Penina, and I could kind of see why when you read about their characters. Uh, Hannah was barren, and Penina used to just jab Hannah because of that. Whenever they went for the yearly sacrifice to the house of God, uh, to Jerusalem, it was a real sore spot. And we read about that in 1 Samuel 1. Um, Hannah went up with them. She, she was praying in the temple. And it says, it says this man used to go up. I'm going to start in verse 3. This man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Don't say that to your wife either. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on, on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, 
Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife, knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you and wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the three-year-old bull. And uh, scholars assume that that age of weaning is between the years of three and five years old. And so uh, we don't know exactly how old he was, but obviously old enough to be of service to Eli. And so she she took the offering. She took a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. And he, Eli, worshipped the Lord there. Here was a mother who was absolutely afflicted and tormented by by her husband's other wife. And uh, what a miserable situation that must have been. But uh, in those days, being barren was considered a curse. and, uh, And her adversary used that to, to really torment her and to exalt herself and to try to get love. And appreciation, and uh, and we probably could do some imagining to 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 think what kind of a hellish life that would be. But uh, as Hannah prayed to the Lord, God heard her cry, and God God answered her prayer and gave her a son. And Hannah had made a vow to the Lord that if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. He's going to serve you. And this was in a time when Israel was in in disrepair. Uh, if you go two books back, the very end of the book, it says, uh, 
Israel was in a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. They didn't have a king. They had rejected God in large part. And God had given them judges to rule over them. And so uh, God sent Samuel at a very critical time in the writing of the story of the children of Israel. And so uh, Hannah was this mother who she poured out her need to the Lord. She did it in public. She did it right there in the temple. She didn't try to hide the need that she had and the cry of her heart. Uh, and so, and God answered her prayer. And so what I would like to zero in on for the next few minutes is the prayer of worship and praise that, that uh, poured out from Hannah's heart as she saw how God had answered her prayer and, and also the sacrifice on her part. So now she has is, she is taken this only son that she has at this point. As far as we know, she had, she had uh, more children later but as far as we know, this was her only child at this point, And she gave him back to the Lord. And she did that literally, not only figuratively speaking, because she left him at the temple and went back home. And when she would come up every year, she would bring him his little coat. And, uh, and I, I would assume get to spend some time with, with her little son. But imagine, imagine the loss in the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years that she missed with her little boy and yet honored her commitment to the Lord to give back to him. And so uh, when she delivered Samuel up to serve in the temple, it says in, in the first verse of chapter 2, 1 Samuel, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts or triumphs in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now, horn is symbolism of power in the Old Testament. In Scripture, it symbolizes power, symbolizes self-defense. Animals use their horns to, uh, to defend themselves and to exert their authority, their power. And, uh, and, and what Hannah is saying is that God has exalted her defense. God has, through motherhood, God had exalted her defense toward her adversary who had been jabbing her all these years with an insult that Hannah was, was powerless over. And she says, My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She didn't say, My mouth derides my enemies because I sit here talking bad about them all day. She said, my very worship to the Lord, my worship to the Lord, my thanks to my God, my proclamation of his strong hand and of answered prayer is now a jab in the side of my enemy. And we're going to spiritualize that for you mothers. Uh, what, a, what an amazing opportunity that you have to fight the enemy by worshiping God. And you can do that no matter what you're doing, no matter what your activity is. And so, uh, and, and Hannah says, My mouth derides my enemies, not by sitting around cursing them, but because I rejoice in the Lord. My rejoicing means destruction to the enemy. I rejoice in your salvation. 
There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So here she goes. She is just delivering praise to the Lord and at the same time delivering blows to the enemy just by her worship. And this is a beautiful song. She says, she says, there is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble mind on strength. I'm sorry, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. But she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Verse 2 through 10. Verses 2 through 10 really uh, are an exaltation of the justice and holiness of God that Hannah came to experience through the gift of motherhood. And uh, uh, I, I feel like this passage is, a, is really an admission that life, and especially motherhood, are a calling that is so great uh, that we are dependent on God to defend, to save, to redeem, to destroy the enemy. It's no secret that one of the enemy's chief goals is to destroy the family. We can see it in our culture. We can see it in other cultures all over the world. One of the enemy's chief goals is to destroy the family. And somehow God gives us as parents, God gives you as mothers and us as fathers, a job that is so far beyond us. The forming of a human soul, like Paul Tripp says. It is so far beyond our ability and our qualification list that it is astounding to me that God trusts us with this. But if you look at the prayer of Hannah... She is continually saying, God, you're the one who saves. You are the one who gives us ability beyond what we can do. You are the one who exalts our horn, our self-defense. And so she spends verses 2 through 10 proclaiming the fact that God is supernaturally working To defend those of us who are in way over our heads. In verse 7, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest.
that verse, that last verse 11, highlights the sacrifice that Hannah made after all of her travail and God gloriously answering her prayers. Now she made really an ultimate sacrifice, offering up her son to be that, that living expression of service to the Lord. And what, what a beautiful, beautiful uh, picture this was to me as I studied it of, of number one, Hannah just coming to the Lord helpless and desperate. God answering Hannah's cry and delivering her from, from her reason to be criticized. And then Hannah, out of love and admiration, just gives it all back to God. And she admits that we are way in over our heads. But you are the God who defends us. And, and you know, I know my wife well enough that uh, I know she has days where she, where she just, uh, I don't know if I can do this today. Um, and I often feel the same way. I don't think I can do this. And yet God is the one who can. As we surrender to him, surrender our insufficiencies to him, then we can join with Hannah in this song saying, God, you are the one who exalts my horn because I trust in your salvation. And so uh, Hannah in verse 11 lets go of her child and she understands that she is simply a steward, a stewardess of what God has given her. And so today we, we take some time to recognize that the calling of motherhood is a high and holy calling. It's deep. It gets intense. At the same time, it often feels very mundane. And its impact is eternal. It's amazing. And then God calls you to let go. To release what you're not able to control. It is brutal. It's excruciating. It's amazing what God asks us to undertake. Letting go may be one of the the most painful parts of motherhood. And I'm not going to change that for you. But I'm going to recognize it today. And I want to call it out and honor you mothers. For those of you who are just doing an exceptional job. I thought about this this group of mothers that we have here in this church. And uh, what a foundational role you play in the building and the perpetuation of what God is doing here. And it is significant. And I want to bless you for that today. To you mothers comes the encouragement from God's word. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you don't faint. That's from Galatians 6, 9. And the blessing that Jesus prophesied 
when he said in Matthew 25:40, "And as much as you have done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it to me." Yeah. So God bless you. God give you a good day. May God prosper your way. You mothers are are valued. You're treasured. And we are so grateful that God uh, is wise in his design to give us such a a gentle, tender, but tough bedrock to uh, to the family design that he's given. So that's all I have to share today.